three mental skills that players in football have to have attention intensity and intent we have to be on task with our attention deal with distractions quickly we have to execute with at optimal intensity and deal with drops in intensity and rises in intensity and we have to execute our actions with a positive intent all those things are three things are tricky and they go hand in hand and so on game day you've got to be you've got to strive to be relentless Welcome to the Performance Lab, a new podcast that explores the behaviours of elite sports people to give you the blueprint for success both on and off the pitch. Each episode, we'll speak to the most compelling people in sport to understand the secrets of elite performance and help you to learn from them. My name is Ben Welch, and this week I'll be chatting to sports psychologist Dan Abrahams with my co-host and performance guru, Ryan Wilson, to help you get focused. Top players set their sights on a target at the start of the new season and stay on track until they've completed it. This sounds simple, but we live in a world that is full of distractions, making it hard to focus. Our chat with Dan Abrahams will help you create a clear plan of action ahead of the new campaign so you can take charge of your mindset and achieve your goals. Dan, welcome to the Performance Lab podcast. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely delighted to be on, Ben. Thank you so much. And Ray, really, really excited to join you guys. So thank you. Brilliant. So, Dan, obviously myself and Ray are very familiar with your work, but if you'd just like to explain to listeners what you do and the kind of people you work with. Sure. Um, well, I'm a sports psychologist. I'm a, a former professional golfer, failed miserably, but I've been a, a, I was a player and then a coach. I was a half decent coach. But as I was coaching golf, I decided to, to do some qualifications to become a, a sports psychologist. And for the past 15 years, I've been working um, as a sports psychologist across multiple sports, but primarily in two golf when that stands to reason because I played the game, but also football. Um, again, for 15 years, I, I've worked uh, across uh, levels, all the levels, all age groups, men's and women's um, football uh, globally, I suppose. Um, and so golf and football have been a, a prime focus these past 15 years. Um, but I've also done that stuff in other sports and I, I've held some um, pretty responsible positions within sports psychology. I, I, one of those positions was I was lead psychologist for England rugby um, for a little bit, working alongside Eddie Jones. So, yeah, so that that's what I do. And there's sort of a, sort of multiple aspects to that. But in a nutshell, I'm a sports psychologist, Ben. Fantastic. Um, so before we, we jump into the subject, so we know this basically with um, – we want to look at focus. Um, I'm interested to know myself and Ray have been talking about how do athletes focus on 90 minutes when they have so much to do? I mean, even me as an amateur footballer, there could be something distracting me when I'm playing power league, let alone all the stuff that a professional footballer or athlete doesn't just have to be a footballer has to cope with. So what I'm interested to know though, is we're always interested to hear about elite athletes and, and the kind of people that you work with, who is the most, focused athlete doesn't have to be football that you've worked with and why and kind of could you give us an example of that level of focus that set set them apart from anyone else you've worked with i think it would have to be um 
I, I mean, uh, the, the person I'm thinking of, I wouldn't be able to name a specific name because um, of a confidentiality agreement I have in place. But this player is a golfer. And I think everybody would agree that um, golf is is mentally challenging. I'm, I'm always slightly sceptical when people say, oh, golf is far more mentally challenging than a sport like football, because every sport has its own uh, mental challenges. But um, um, it, it was a golfer I worked with who competed on a US tour. So, you know, essentially one of the best players in the world and just really just miraculous abilities to um, pay attention to the task at hand, to be able to slip, slip into focus mode because that's very much the challenge you've got in something like golf where you want you need to focus um you need to turn up the volume of focus i should say for i don't know 45 seconds a minute during the shot during your shot routine essentially and then once that ball flies away you really want to have the capacity to turn down the volume of focus, relax a little bit between shots. And so essentially what you're doing is you're trying to make waves. So those who are listening in on an audio channel here, you know, just can just think about a, a wave going up and down, up and down. And so whether you're a tennis player or golfer, um, you want to be able to turn up the volume of focus and down the volume of focus and up the volume of focus and down the volume of focus um, for, for the four hours or so that you're, you're competing um and so i would pick this particular person because he just really didn't get distracted by things that were going on around uh, him he um didn't get distracted by um really challenging shots he just seemed to be able to zero in on his target zero in on the swing thoughts or feelings he had to have to enable him to pull off the shot and then really immersed himself in the process of hitting that shot um so that would be the most impressive person i suppose it's not much of a story given that i can't tell you who it is but that that would be that gives you a bit of a clue as to the kind of focused demands that sports have i suppose dan on that do you think that there's a distinct difference between training uh day focus and that laser-like match day competition based focus because you know when you're practicing and you're drilling yourself regardless of the sport and you're frustrated that you know this needs to happen on the next competition day or the next Saturday or whatever the case may be on those training days you're waving through lots of different pockets of focus but there's that pinnacle moment depending on the sport depending on the type of sport but there's those moments when you really need to be focused. So, do you know, is there a difference between the types of focus that, that, yeah, that happen? I, th I think it's a really good question, Ray. I, I think there is. I think there's a difference between uh, paying attention in training and paying uh, and practice uh, and paying attention on game day. Um, and there doesn't have to be at times. I think there are some activities. So if we take football, if we go in the direction of football, I think there's some activities during the session where a player needs to focus uh, or experience the same focus that he or she wants to experience on game day. You know, it might be a small sided game or a keep ball. And essentially they're trying to execute the responsibilities within their role. Uh, and they're trying to do so at a certain intensity and with positive intent. And ultimately that's what they have to pay attention every single second they have to be on task 
Um, however, during training, during practice, it is training and it is practice. And there are times when you've got to actually analyze what you're doing. If you want to get better as a player, you might go into that session, into that activity with specific goals in mind, specific things that you want to get better. And actually what that then demands that you do is reflect in the moment on those skills that you're working on. And so you've got to turn your attention inwards and consider, okay, so let's just say, for example, basic example might be, I want to work on my first touch today because my first touch in the last couple of weeks has been a little bit heavy. So I'm just going to work on that. So it's not that you then execute a small sided game, for example, just playing, you want to play with a focus on first touch. So being able to deaden that first touch, you know, have a great first touch, get the ball out of your feet, bang, pass the ball. But you've got to be able to reflect on that. How am I doing? How well is that going? Am I doing that successfully? Can I do that better? You might have even communicated with a coach to specifically point out how you're doing uh, throughout the activity. So if I'm understanding your question correctly, I would say during training and, and practice, there are often times where you want to have a different type of focus because your focus needs to be on what we would call deliberate practice, practicing your skills. Okay, which is different to game day. And I think that's a real misnomer. I think a lot of coaches will say, well, train like you play, play like you train, etc. And it's like, well, yeah, kind of, but not all the time. So there needs to be a subtle variation there. Now, come game day, that's where it's more relentless. You know, and I always talk about three mental skills that players in football have to have attention, intensity and intent. We have to be on task with our attention deal with distractions quickly. We have to execute with at optimal intensity and deal with drops in intensity and rises in intensity. And we have to execute our actions with a positive intent. All those things are, three things are tricky and they go hand in hand. And so on game day, you've got to be, you've got to strive to be relentless. You've got to strive to be relentless with your attention. You've got to be on task every single second. It is literally like next play, next play, next play, next play, next play. However, there's a couple of problems, two main problems, really. First problem is the game is somewhat challenging, right? There's an opposition there, okay, who are going to distract you. There's, uh, so there's an opposition there. There are there are teammates who might not be playing so well. There's things going on around you that essentially are almost designed to distract you, right? And a big part of the game is your, is your capacity to examine the relationship between ball, player, and space, for instance. Now, the ball is very magnetic. That's a real interesting thing about football. The ball is very magnetic. You start to stare at the ball. Where's the ball? Where's the ball? Where's the ball? Forgetting about actually searching for runs of the opposition, movements of teammates, where the space is, et cetera, et cetera. And we know the best players in the world are the most accurate with their visual search behaviors. So that's a big part of paying attention. And it's tough because the game is difficult and it's moving at a million miles an hour in front of you. And the dynamic is constantly changing with cues and clues and triggers emerging and dissolving, emerging and dissolving all the time. And then another challenge, you're, you're, possibly arguably your biggest challenge is the internal okay your internal is almost like anti-zone it's designed to distract you and there's this okay i'm going to throw a funky scientific term at you now there's this process called interoception interoception okay and what interoception is is it is the brain constantly analyzing the body 
constantly getting data from your hormones, from your organs, from your immune system. Okay, that data is constantly going to your brain. So your brain is constantly checking in on your body. So you feel slightly flat or lethargic, bang, you're going to drop in your attention. You're going to drop in your intensity, etc. And that's a massive one. And you'd know this, Ray, as well as I would. How many players come off the pitch and say, oh, Dan, oh, right, I just wasn't feeling it today. I just wasn't feeling in warm-up. I was in the warm-up, I just wasn't feeling it. And it's just like, that's that's interoception. Okay. That is your bodily feelings, your bodily sensations, your emotions, etc., that can get in the way. They absolutely interrupt and distract you. And so attention is vital, but it is very, very hard to to be able to do on game day. It is relentless on game day. So that's what I would say to that one, Ray. I wanted to go back. Before I go and jump on that, is you were saying that golfers need to sort of almost come in and out like a wave. Is that because the concentration of focus for when they have to shoot is so intense that you want them to be kind of fully energized for that moment of focus and then relax so that when they're back into taking that shot, they have the energy? Because I imagine four hours of kind of <laughs> relentless focus is exhausting. 100% spot on, Ben. So, you know, in, in neurological terms, what we pretty much know is that when you're paying attention, okay, when you're exerting your energy, your, your attention, your energy um, on uh, a single process or task, you're eating away at your sugars and glucose in the front part of the brain. Um, and those are scarce resources, those sugars and glucose. So think about a time when you've really concentrated on something, you know, and it might be Ben when you've played before and you've come off the pitch and you're physically tired, but you're mentally knackered as well. And I remember Rooney talking about this, you know, he, he said in some quotes sometime, he said, look, when I come off the pitch and I've had a good game, often I'm more mentally tired than I am physically tired. And it's like, I'm still very physically tired, but I'm very mentally tired as well because he's constantly concentrating on the task at hand. What's happening there is he's eating away at the sugars and glucose that sustain the energy in the front part of his brain, okay, the goal-oriented part of his brain, um, depleting those stores. And so he's knackered when they're depleted. And so as a golfer, you're 100% right. You can't focus um, uh, as you do on a single shot for the whole round, for, as you said, four hours. And on the European tour, US tour these days, it's five and a half hours. It's such a long time. So you've got to be able to have the capacity to really ramp up the volume of focus on the shot and then turn down that volume of focus. And, and as you said, when a, when a shot is at, when you're, when you're actually engaged in your routine, when you're going through your routine for your golf shot, again, like in football, there's so many distractions. And again, there's this interesting dynamic. You can get to the top of the swing and be distracted. You can even be working your golf swing into the golf ball and be distracted then. You know, I had this as a professional golfer multiple times. You just think as you're, as you're swinging into the ball, don't go left. And so you kind of mechanically try to save it. Yeah. Or you spin through it, you rotate through it and, and it actually goes left. So it's, it, it's a very fragile thing, attention. And so having specific things in your routine to be able to focus your attention, deal with distraction is absolutely vital in golf. So uh, that, that, but you're, you're, you're absolutely spot on, Ben. That's why you do that. Ben, before you jump in on that, I've just got a few more, Dan, on that point. So, like Ben, like me, like 
a lot of the other athletes out there, you've uh, you gained the competition's about to start. I think a lot of people are very in tune with, right, I'm about to perform. Let me get my mind on it. Let me get focused. I think people are quite good or they have those processes put in place. But I don't think people are very good at. What about when pressure's on? What about when they've made a mistake? How do you recover? How do you preserve? How do you, you know, get back onto? I mean, in golf, it seems like there is a stronger process, but in team sports, there's not always the case. Yeah, look, it's a great question, Ray. And um, oh, I, I tend to do a bit of a deep dive when it, <laughs> uh, as much of a deep dive as I've done on the other answers uh, to your questions, I, I tend to do a bit of a deep dive with it because I think the interesting thing here and and Ray we've worked together in the past and you'll know my work from players I've worked with alongside yourself and how I help players set up um, a system a framework whereby they know going on to the pitch before any game what their job is from a mental perspective you know I'm a big believer in that I'm somewhat aghast that I still I'm blessed to sit in front of some of the best players in the world but players of all levels and all ages but even when you sit down with the best players and you ask them the question what are you trying to achieve mentally on the pitch very few if any can actually articulate Mm. a framework well Dan I'm trying to do ABC if I ever hear that, I'll be mightily impressed because I don't think I have, um, uh, or I rarely hear that. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just saying that's been my experience. Okay, then. Why is that a problem? Well, that's a problem because as you're kind of alluding to, right, the reality is, and as I mentioned earlier, distraction is inevitable, right? Distraction is inevitable. We, we've just got to accept that that is going to happen on the pitch. You know, that's a it's a human phenomenon. It's a phenomenon of competition, especially under pressure. Distraction is inevitable. So we have to help players have strategies, techniques to be able to have the skill to deal with distraction and pay attention. So 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 there's there's that distraction is inevitable so players need a mental framework um and in my mind they need to put this mental framework first that's not to suggest that it's more important than tactics it's not suggest that it's more important than physicality right you know which you're mainly involved with i'm not suggesting that but what i am saying is that you know the body and mind is going to hit hard at some stage and if you've done all the good physical preparation that you need to um, if you've optimized that side, if you're ready technically, if you're if you know what you're doing tactically, if you know the responsibilities in your role, there really is one thing that's going to get in the way, and 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 that is the mental side. So have a framework to the mental side of your game. So really, what I'm trying to say in a nutshell is it's done before events unfold on the pitch. It it it's done on a Monday and a Tuesday, going into Saturday. It's done, you know, when we to get a work together, working with players. It's the conversations we've collectively had on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday going, okay, player X, you know, your keywords are brave, lively, and relentless. That's your job on the pitch. No matter what happens to you now, there's going to be moments of distraction. 
there's going to be times where you may drop in a bit of confidence because you've had a couple of mistakes. You've missed a great chance to score. The ball's not getting up to you. But you've got to stay brave, lively, and relentless. You've got your self-talk there. You've got your body language. You know, you've got to keep embodying brave, lively, and relentless. You've got to keep telling yourself brave, lively, relentless as an example. We're having those conversations on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, going into that Saturday game. And what you're doing is you're priming. You know, you're creating that blueprint to prime your brain to deal with the distractions that will happen, that will inevitably happen. And there's good scientific evidence, actually, from the world of neuroscience, where the vast majority of my understanding, and I'm not a neuroscientist, but I'm not a brain scientist, but my understanding is that most neuroscientists accept uh, a theory called predictive coding theory. And what this is in simple terms is the brain is a prediction machine. The brain is a prediction machine. So if you're going into, into, into a game and you don't know what to do mentally, you've got no plans in place, then there's nothing that your brain is predicting that it's going to do in case of a problem. Those players who do have that framework, right, come Saturday, I'm going to be brave, lively, relentless. I'm going to be brave, lively, relentless, nonstop. Nothing and no one takes me away from that. If the ball's not coming up to me, that's okay. I'm going to stay patient by telling myself to be brave, lively, and relentless. You're priming your brain. You're priming your brain. So so I suppose, again, I come back to that, that, that deeper dive here, guys, is, look, you. I know it sounds strange, but you deal with distraction by creating frameworks before you play the game. That gives you a better chance. I'm not saying that it absolutely guarantees you won't, but um, it, it gives you a better chance. Then obviously in the game, and, and this is why you've, to me, you've got to put psychology first. You know, you've got to say a big part of your narrative when you're warming up is, right, I'm loving this, great, I'm warming up, I'm warming up, brave, lively, relentless. You're creating it yourself, okay? You're on your toes, you're being lively on purpose, you're zipping the ball around. You know, even if there's a, a feeling of lethargy or a feeling of flatness or a bit of anxiety, okay, that's okay and that's bubbling away and that's there, okay? That's going to happen, but I'm going to keep telling myself, I'm going to kind of turn down the volume of those negative thoughts and keep being lively and relentless. Okay. So I'm going to keep doing that, keep doing that, keep doing that. And so I'm kind of dealing with distraction in that moment. And then from the first minute, I'm exploding into the action. And my job is every action, brave, lively, relentless, even standing still brave, lively and relentless. You know, it doesn't matter what happens. I'm going to, I'm going to be in that zone. I'm going to be there. That's where I am. There's a camera on me. I'm going to show it brave, lively, relentless. Then you've got every cat's hell in chance of actually dealing with distraction quickly, staying at an optimal intensity and executing continually with positive intent, no matter what. It doesn't guarantee a nine out of 10 game, but boy, it gives you a better chance of that. And it gives you a better chance of turning fives into sixes, sixes into sevens, fives into sevens. And bottom line, that's how consistency of high performance under pressure is done. I feel like I'm ready to go out and play myself now. I was I was listening to all of that all that advice and I was thinking when I go out next time I'm at Power League on a Monday I'm brave, lively, and relentless. And those 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 those, def- those attackers are in trouble. Now I find a lot of people tend to find it easier to keep focus when they're winning, yeah, but not so when they're losing. And I mean that 
also from a coaching perspective. Coaches tend to try to adopt the strategy of let me keep trying to inspire and hopefully they will click and they'll get points on the board. Um, you know, with what focus uh, means to you mm. and trying to keep teams and managers and people like that in regards to a framework, when no matter what the framework was that you were trying to use, it's now got you in a position where you're survival mode. Yeah. What's your kind of advice and so how do you how, how, how do you how do you support individuals, coaches, players in that period, this period that we're going through now? I think that helping teams constantly stay attuned to their strengths and their successes is really important, um, especially for a team that, in general, has been failing. You know, has had a poor season. I think that's absolutely crucial. You know, I think if you take a team, you can have a bunch of players who have a bunch of frameworks. And I must admit, I'd like to think, Ray, that if a bunch of players had a bunch of frameworks and they were sharing each other's mental frameworks, that they wouldn't be in a position of relegation. But I'm realistic. And let's say it was a, a team that you're playing in the Premier League or Championship who you'd, who you'd think would be one of the, I suppose, um, one of the poorer teams, for want of a better way of, of, of expressing it they've all got their frameworks they're sharing their frameworks and they've had a pretty good season but you know they're still sort of in and around the relegation area i'd want a big part of their confidence is the narrative that they're creating day to day and you guys will know as well as i do you know having been in amongst clubs being in there and 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 when you listen to the narrative it really matters you listen to what players say you know down the bottom of the table the players are often talking about negatives there's a lot of threat responses there's a lot of low self-efficacy self-confidence um nobody's looking around and being that buoyant about what they've got and so holding what we in psychology would call an appreciative inquiry is quite important. So you can think of that term appreciative inquiry to appreciate, to hold an inquiry about what we can appreciate basically. And um, that would be, what are our strengths? What are we good at when we've won? What have, what have we done? Well, you know, what have people admired in us when we've been written about, you know, what have, what have uh, journalists admired about our game? What have our positions said that have, have been good about us? What works for us? When we've won, what works? What are we doing? You know, and just taking, getting players, brainstorming, getting them into small groups, getting them talking about that um, and coming up with just little bullet points around that, you know, collating those together and just coming up with a few, you know, three, four, five maximum bullet points around what we're good at, what we're strong at, et cetera, et cetera. And striving to drive the language of the organization of the team in that manner, you know, especially using the senior players in that group, the leadership, the leaders, if you like, you know, making sure that they're, they're, they're dropping those lines in, in and around the training ground and just, you know, in every activity, Hey, we've said that when we've won, we've been at hundred percent intensity. Let's, let's practice hundred percent intensity here. We've said we, uh, we, we positively communicate. Let's practice this here. You know, success leaves clues. And so if we can f 
we, if we can uncover those clues and then constantly reinforce those clues, then we can really drive the language of the team, the organization. We can drive the emotional temperature of the team in the organization. And again, I, I, I can assure you that that emotional temperature is important. You know, when teams are losing, everybody's flat, everybody's down. The temperature is kind of, you know, everything's low and oh, it's awful. And you've got to change that. You've got to manage that. You've got to change that. So I, 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 that's one thing. That's one thing that I would do if you're if you're in that relegation mire. If you're if you're up near the top and you're and you're 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 near to promotion, I don't think that's a bad activity to do anyway. You know, well, why are we here? What are we doing that's so good? What have we got to make sure that we've done this season really well in the playoffs? There's lots of things you can do, but the language of the team the emotional temperature of the team is, is absolutely crucial. We spoke a lot about focus and what is fascinating to me is a lot of elements, especially um, driven by the questions that Ray asked, were not things I'd really considered, which to me makes it even more interesting is just that there's a literally so many distractions internally and externally. How on earth does anyone concentrate for 90 minutes um, on just on performance? So, but if I were to say to you and as you said, you, when you ask players about this, like what does focus mean to you? It just in a real kind of uh, distillation of what that means to you in performance. And I know there's lots of facets, but if we're really simplifying, what is focus to you? From a mental perspective, it's being on task. Um, it's being, it's dealing with the distraction really quickly to come back onto task when you've gone off task. <clears throat> That's from a mental perspective. Related to that, from a cognitive perspective, um, it's having an external focus of attention, um, constantly searching, 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 searching around you, looking for space, ball, players, and constantly taking information around you. So it's that external focus of attention more often than an internal focus of attention. Um, so I would say it's two, two things, mentally, cognitively, um, so yeah to some players that we know you've worked with so you were previously referring to Yannick Bellassi we know uh what you did with incredible work with Carlton Cole Anthony Stokes you know worked at Bournemouth amongst many other athletes England rugby if an amateur athlete is listening now uh what lessons could they take from the athletes that you'd worked with so that when they play power league in the week or they play semi-professional on a Saturday or they play Sunday league what really quick fire uh, advice techniques could you give them to really harness their focus when the whistle goes? Idea number one, think about you at your best, um, picture that, draw that down to a couple of action-based words like alert, alive, lively, relentless, dominant, upbeat, cool, calm, focused, relaxed. They've got to be action-based words. Pick two action-based words and strive to be uh, execute every action in those action-based words come uh, game day. That's number one. Number two, think about all the responsibilities in your role. Think about every action in your role that you've got to execute. Pick three of the most important things. Okay. 
um, three of the most important tasks and make sure they're specific, controllable, positive. That's the most important thing, specific, controllable and positive. Um, for instance, when I worked with Carlton Cole over a decade ago, when he was languishing in the West Ham reserve team and I, I asked him, what are you trying to achieve when you go on a pitch? And he sort of said, well, I want to score. I want to win. Uh, I want to stay in the team, impress the manager. I don't want to mess up those kind of things. 18 months later, he made his debut for England against Spain, who were world champions at the time. And he had three focus cues, all of which were specific, controllable and positive. And that was uh, something like nonstop looking for space, um, defend from the front and get shots away. And I think of those three, only get shots away, you could quibble whether that's controllable. It's not completely controllable. So it was a real difference in the qualities of the objectives he had for his game. And so that helped him to focus better. Um, The third piece of advice really would be, if none of that resonates with you, is comes back to that idea of an external focus of attention. So our focus of attention, so this is the work of a guy called Robert Nidifer in the 1980s. Robert Nidifer, you can Google him, N-I-D-E-F-F-E-R, in the 1980s, and he talked about four forms of attention, internal and external. So our focus of attention is going to be internal or external. It's going to be broad or it's going to be narrow. It's going to be wide or it's going to be narrow. So you can have an internal broad uh, or narrow focus of attention or an external broad or narrow focus of attention, wide or narrow focus of attention. And again, what, what, um, what we know is that when you play a team invasion sport like football, for instance, um, you ideally, because you've got all the clues, the cues, the triggers external to you, players, ball, space, etc. Uh, movement runs actions you need to be able to be a great detective of those you've got to keep detecting those so very simple go out there and strive to keep an external focus of attention non-stop keep looking keep looking keep looking keep looking even when the ball goes out of play keep keep looking keep looking around keep looking keep looking keep looking so what research suggests so one of the world's leading experts in this is a guy called dr gear jordet he's a norwegian from the norwegian institute of sport and he has measured the visual search behaviors of some of the world's best players uh, and a player obviously recently retired but javi hernandez he came out on top uh, over the last 15 years of data he searches at 0.83 searches per minute so per second so almost one visual search per second so he's all he's looking up and around per uh, every second um so uh, and that's the best player in the world so he's getting in information and if you purposefully intentionally search 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 um, you will find yourself focusing better and focus on focusing on the task relevant cues in the game. Uh, so that's three ideas uh, that would resonate. Different ideas resonate with different players and different people. Listen, I'm languishing in the Sunday League Vets League, but I'm ready in 18 <laughs> months time. I'm going to be playing for England. Just you mark my words. Everyone remember this. Um, Come on, Ray. Ben. I'm good, but I'm not that good, mate. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Easy, Tiger. Listen, I'm pumped now. I'm, I'm going to go outside and start. I'm going outside. I'm going to start training now. This is it. My son's four years old. I'm going to get him amped up with this advice. This is great. Um, Ray, just before you go, have you got one last quick question for Dan? I was going to ask one. I think you just alluded to it with the cotton coal kind of reference and it was more when somebody's struggling to focus 
too many externals, whatever the case may be. How do you keep, how do you just draw them back? You know, it doesn't matter the sport, doesn't matter the situation, but they're struggling to focus. I actually think that that's where those key words, uh, and this is a technique I call a game face. Um, and, you know, we helped Yannick Balassi set up a game face, Brave, Lively, Relentless Ronaldo, which I spoke about in one of my books, Soccer Tough 2. And, and mm. I think this is where this is good because, you know, at any stage, a player, let's just say their game face is confident and relentless, confident and relentless. What I find in my work from speaking with them is that, you know, if they're thinking about mistakes, they're distracted because they're thinking about a past mistake or they're distracted because, I don't know, the opposing player is big and strong, is getting the better of them. And um, they use those key words to bring themselves almost back to the present moment and, you know, bring them back focused on the present time and, and ready to engage with the game in the present moment. And that, that's what I think tends to work best. Um, That's my experience. I do think it's different for different players. Uh, I mean, Carlton Cole use those cues. So for instance, uh, non-stop movement, defend from the front, you know, he was going on against Spain and it was easy for him to think about, well, Javi's on the pitch, Iniesta's on the pitch, Pepe Reina and goal, this is going to be, this is going to be really hard here. But, you know, he was just, all he was focused on is defend from the front, defend from the front, front constantly, constantly find space, constantly find space. And the beauty of those keys was that they helped him be externally, focused because it was like well you know to defend from the front he's got to look around he's got to see where he needs to def- you know see where he needs to to move to to constantly find space he's got to be constantly looking at his his defenders and and, and where thinking about where the space might be um so I, I think that's why i love that kind of again i call that technique a match script so i think those two techniques are really really useful i think players have to play with these ideas and see what works um, works for them, but even just right, just building the capacity to notice when you've dropped in conf- uh, con- concentration, and just coming back to a point before we finish here, that, uh, a point you made, Ben, that you you are almost kind of saying, you know, one psychological thing flows into another, which flows into another, and that's that that can be the 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 the, the curse and the and the burden, but also the the wonderful thing about psychology is that. One technique can help your focus, can help your confidence, can help your emotional management. Um, and that's great, but it can also be quite confusing. Um, and, and this is the thing is that my technique of game face and script and things like that can help confidence, but they can also help focus. So it's very difficult to, to pinpoint one thing. It's like, have you got your game face? Have you got your script? You know, are you, where's your focus of attention? It, it's, it's just good questions there. And, and, and away you go, you know, have you got your techniques away you go. So, so that, that's what I would, that's what I would say there. You know, I think for, for Yannick, it's, it was keeping BLR Ronaldo, you know, and still working with him now, just be, just be BLR Ronaldo, just be brave, lively, relentless Ronaldo. And as easy as it sounds, he doesn't do it all the time, does he? He doesn't get it right all the time, you know, because it's an emotional game. He wants to score. He wants to do well. He wants to assist. He wants to impact. And our bodies, because it's an emotional game, force us into, oh, it's not going to be my day. Oh, it's not happening. And I still, at this stage of his career, I want him to get better at that. 
mm. you know i want him to get better at that i still think there's there's room and space to get better at that so uh yeah 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 that was amazing dan thank you ever so much lots of really nice anecdotal stuff and some fantastic practical advice whatever level of football you play just before you go for anyone listening where can they where, should, where can they follow you where can they find out more about you um so they can get more of the fantastic advice that you put out there well, thank you, mate. And guys, thank you for having me on. Really honoured to, to, to join your podcast. So thank you. Um, so let's begin at the beginning. Website is danabrahams.com. Um, I have three Twitter accounts, but I'll give you the football one, which is at danabrahams77. Instagram is at danabrahamssport. Um, and uh, Facebook is at danabrahamssoccer. And do follow me on LinkedIn because I post um, a little um, uh, post, a long post, almost like a mini article every single day. Uh, I'm that sad. Um, so it's every day that I'm doing that. So that goes up. And um, uh, I have a, my own podcast called The Sports Psych Show, um, where I'm com- com- comfortably the least qualified person on there. I tend to have professors and doctors who are who uh, thankfully simplify sports psychology as well. But um, that might be an interesting um, listen. That's The Sports Psych Show. Uh, and my books, uh, Soccer Tough, Soccer Tough 2, Soccer Brain, and if you do like golf, Golf Tough can be found on uh, Amazon and there's a chapter in there on in Soccer Tough 2 on Yannick and there's a chapter on Ray as well yes there he is celebrating there's a chapter on Ray I I made him world famous not that he wasn't world famous (laughs) but uh, yeah so look guys thank you so much and uh, good to catch up That was absolutely brilliant. I was completely locked in every time Dan was talking. I think he managed to offer up some easy to follow, actionable advice that anyone at any level can apply. I want to take this opportunity to thank Dan for giving up his time and being so generous with the practical techniques he's developed for elite athletes competing at the top level. Now sadly, that's the last episode of Series 1. I'd like to thank everyone who has tuned in to listen. Myself and Ran have had the privilege of speaking to some of the most compelling people in sport, learning about a range of subjects from how to deal with hate to handling pressure and forging resilience. I'd like to thank all our guests for coming onto the podcast and sharing their insight and expertise. We'll be back for season two, so make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Spotify so you never miss an episode. And if you can leave a five-star review, even better. And then, if you have time, please come and find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. We're the Performance Lab Podcast. Hit follow and stay up to date with all our latest content. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you for season two.